I'm Paul Petrunia, and this is Archinex Sessions. Next up, Exhibit Columbus. This series of conversations was introduced last week with Mimi Zeiger and Iker Gill, the curators of Exhibit Columbus. If you're not yet familiar with this year's Exhibit Columbus designers and programming, we encourage you to take a listen to last week's episode. To begin our first episode featuring the recipients of the J. Irwin and Xenia S. Miller Prize, we're sharing my conversation with Jennifer Newsom and Tom Carruthers of Dream the Combine. Partners in work and life, Jennifer and Tom's Minneapolis-based practice explores metaphor, imaginary environments, and perceptual uncertainties that cast doubt on our known understanding of the world. Their installation for Exhibit Columbus starts off with addressing the name Columbus and the various associations with the controversial name. The project is aptly titled Columbus, Columbia, Colombo, Cologne. Our conversation starts with looking back at the tumultuous year leading up to the unveiling of their installation. Jennifer and Tom, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. This is great. I really appreciate it. So how has this last week or last week, this last year treated you guys? (laughs) That's an important slip there. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They're one and the same, really. That now um, time feels like it's accelerating all of a sudden. So, you know, the the past year has been, I'm not going to lie, it's been very challenging. I mean, we're, we're speaking here on the ancestral and present lands of the Dakota and also known as Minneapolis and St. Paul and the Twin Cities. And it's been a challenging time here, you know, but but folks are getting through. Folks are getting through. So I can imagine. I mean, it's been a challenging time for literally the entire world, but Minneapolis especially has been, uh, has gone through so much. Yes. Which leads directly to this project. First of all, congratulations on being named a recipient of the J. Irwin and Zinnia S. Miller Prize this year. Thank you. Thank you. It's a real honor. And it's one that, you know, it's one of these honors you just never imagine you'd be considered for. And it has unlocked a, a kind of like powerful set of examinations for Jennifer and I in our practice. And in many ways has been a kind of balm to be able to work on something like this uh, in this time. So before we talk about that, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what else you've been working on uh, leading up to uh, the announcement of this, uh, this prize. Well, you know, I, I think the pandemic year, you know, has been challenging. We had a couple of projects that were supposed to happen and then didn't, (laughs) you know, so, but luckily we didn't have anything that was slated to open in terms of an exhibition in in 2020. So it actually was all said and done. It was actually like kind of a, I guess, good year for something like that to happen. But we've been working on a couple projects in Minneapolis. We've got something in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, that's been kind of an ongoing, sort of in the process of fundraising for installation there, just outside of Pittsburgh. And now we're currently working on a project in Philly. So a lot of a lot of things in Pennsylvania, actually, oddly enough, right now. But yeah, I mean the the. Columbus project has really been, you know, just a, a kind of incredible touch point, like during this time. So as Tom said, it has been really nice to like get centered in that, in that work in a good way. Well, this last year has clearly shown a uh, dramatically heightened awareness of the the problems in this in this country with systemic racism, uh, going back to the time when this country was uh, colonized. 
which leads directly to the title of your project for Exhibit Columbus, which is uh, Columbus, Columbia, Colombo, Cologne. Clearly, this is a reference to the name of, of the city. Can you talk a little bit about what your first thoughts were when given this commission? It's interesting. It's always hard with every project. Uh, we have a, a terrible habit of coming at things, you know, sort of starting fresh each time, only to discover that there are certain concerns that reappear and come back. And I I think with this particular project, the kind of institutional critique that we engage with in certain projects just started to present itself. One day there was this kind of aha moment where it's like, what if we literally exhibit Columbus? What if it's that dry? What if for the first project, we're really like the image is we don't have to create an image. And in fact, it's better if we don't. What if there's just a, a kind of making the what is invisible visible? And we, I think I have, just to name it, like there's a, a close friend, an artist based here in the Twin Cities, Setu Jones, and we have an ongoing collaboration with him. And that that has been a kind of topic of conversation as we kind of each share aspects of our project in this ongoing collaboration. So looking, it's making the, making the invisible visible. And so there's been an exploration of a kind of infrastructure of naming and its complex set of significations that are arrayed spatially across the globe so that Columbus, Indiana, as much as it's asserting a, a kind of particular type of identity attached to the role that architecture can play socially and publicly, and those are not the same things, I think it also is important to foreground, as the, the two curators, maybe and Eker, said at the get-go, this kind of metaphoric relationship between Columbus, Indiana, and just tease that out a little further as a kind of network statement. So where did you begin your research for this project? <laughs> Funnily enough, on this website that allows you to type in a place name and then it tells you where that place name exists everywhere else on the globe. <laughs> so we were just sort of interested in, you know, like, what are all the different associations with Columbus and the kind of various derivations of his name in different languages, which is how we have the four-part title. And so, you know, we were really first trying to understand this as a much larger global network and that these kind of place names become these, you know, sort of static points of signification in a broader field of, of movement and flows and migration and goods and slave trade and so many other types of movement. And so the place naming becomes a kind of counterpoint to those flows. So that's sort of where we started with, with our research. I mean, literally, as we were driving to Columbus, Indiana for the first time, I mean, we'd never been there before. They have this kind of incredible landscaping, I don't know, like sign that just says, discover Columbus. And we were like, discover Columbus? Like, what? <laughs> And so we just sort of started with that, like, okay, well, yeah, what can we learn about Columbus as both a specific place, as Columbus, Indiana, but also as a kind of like larger symbol for, yeah, just other sorts of global forces that are present. So we've been trying to kind of negotiate that intersection in our research. And did you find that locations around the world named after Columbus were mostly within the U.S. or was it scattered around the Americas? It's, mm -hmm. it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and they all sort of proliferate. They, well, okay, so first of all, the United States is 
is a fan more of of the kind of feminine derivation of the name. So Miss Columbia was at one point considered the kind of personification of the country before the Statue of Liberty came on the scene. So there was already this sort of, you know, way in which the United States was kind of conflated with Columbus as a kind of part of its sort of origin myth or sort of, you know, mythology about the place. So there's a ton of Columbia's on the eastern seaboard and kind of like east of the Mississippi. But if you look at South America, the number of colons, Puerto Colon, it is so prolific. And as someone who grew up in British Columbia, and then as we're doing the research on this project, I'm also in the uh, going through the process of becoming an American citizen. It was just really something to come off the highway uh, in Columbus, Indiana, and pass by this landscape berm that says "Discover Columbus" and acknowledge in that in that split instant that there's at least two perspectives happening. That you're invited in a way to reenact the discovery of the new world by coming to Columbus, Indiana. And also there's a a kind of a second reading there of just questioning like, wait, what? We have to stop and back up and get that sign and take a picture and just see, are they really saying that? And what do they mean by that? And who is that for? So I think that there's been a consistent thread through Jennifer and my work where we're, we're looking at publics, at people, and looking at structuring invitations towards certain interactions for people and sort of gambles in each project to see, you know, if you set it up like this, will people do that? And and sort of, and then learning from those interactions. And there's a, a history of exhibitions in particular constructing certain types of, of publics. And certain types of meaning. Correct. Right? So and the, the exhibition like, already is a kind of miniaturization of... Of like, the world, right? The world. So we're... You know, we've been doing parallel research, for example, on the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exhibition in St. Louis, and and just trying to understand like what public is being created from that exhibition, and so that I could monologue, we could talk literally forever, and I'm sure you have <laughs> other questions, but uh, we're kind of bringing the enthusiasm. But let me know if the answers are running a bit long. Well, I'm curious. The name Columbus, understandably is problematic and that has been discussed probably more in the last year than it has uh, in in many years previous to that. I'm curious about what your thoughts were on the name Columbus and how that may have changed through the research and the work you've done for this uh, commission. I mean, I, th- I, I still think it's problematic. I mean, like we don't need to singularly glorify someone who basically signals the beginning of a genocide. So, you know, it's very fraught. And I think part of our sort of negotiation and dealing with this subject for this project is that how do we both talk about Columbus, Columbia, Colombo, Colón as a kind of like a global network and kind of symbol of colonialism, extraction, et cetera, without kind of replicating the the violence of that again. So, you know, part of the challenge, I think, is, you know, in this kind of revealing the sort of like the pervasiveness of this network, right? Like literally that our installation is like comprised of points on the globe that refer to these places. How do we introduce a kind of alternative narrative of either resistance or refusal or a kind of yeah, just a, a different story that that operates counter to that. And so each of the elements in our installation also kind of carry these other narratives that I think start to broaden and offer a, a sort of more complex picture of Columbus, you know, 
certainly building off of the ways in which people are are questioning and challenging the name in recent memory. Was there ever a concern that that the the focus on the name would be misinterpreted as like a celebration of Columbus or the 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 uh, prominence he had in in the New World? I think that is a really great point, right? And we're working very carefully here to uh, be clear that we're taking something, a condition that is implicit from certain points of view and making that explicit. So, you know, this is not a shaming exercise. There is a difference between individual critique, systemic critique, institutional critique, even as we are all intertwined. You know, I think it it is important for for myself, for example, who grew up and benefited from the unceded territory of the Musqueam, of the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh nations uh, in the Lower Mainland. I would just like to point out that the social studies textbooks that I had to study to pass my provincial exams, they did not contain any information that there were residential schools still operating funded by federal dollars, that my parents' taxpayer money was still financing, in effect, not only a, a cultural, but actual genocide. And as someone who grew up in a relatively, in a very, in a home that all sides of the family are from Scotland, you know, the, the sort of post-World War II narrative of uh, where those narratives are very strong, but I don't think that there was any self-reflection as to what the British culture was doing in Canada. So I personally feel like particularly implicated as someone who comes from British Columbia. You know, we're using a Mercator projection on the site. We're miniaturizing the world uh, onto Mill Race Park in Columbus, Indiana, so that when you stand with your back at Columbus, Indiana, the the marker there, and you face towards Columbus, Montana, for example, you are going to be on a line that circumnavigates the globe so that you're in relationship between two points. And I think that that, you know, we do talk about a kind of embodied knowledge that is an important vehicle because it's the kind of knowledge you just never forget. And it's hopefully a provocation for reflection. Can you talk about the form that that your installation will take? Uh, So it's a series of markers, really, and that these markers, whether they're at the surface of the ground or these kind of tall, almost flagpole-like elements that extend vertically about 20 feet tall throughout the site, that they serve as these kind of, you know, markers signifying the various Columbus, Columbia, Columbo, Cologne places in the world. But they also sort of in, induce a particularity of, of movement. And each of the, the kind of vertical poles has a text that's laser etched on the surface of it. So as you read the text, you kind of spiral around the pole and then kind of launch off to the next pole um, and, and circumnavigate that one and move to the next. So there's a kind of spiraling, like dizzying movement that we hope is sort of induced by contending with these written narratives that are on on these polls. Um, and I think, you know, just to expand on what Tom was saying about, you know, this being an opportunity for reflection. Yeah, I don't really see the installation as, you know, overly celebratory, nor is it overly damning. I think it's just revealing like what is. I mean, I think- for, Or, or for even me, sanctimonious. Either. Yeah, it's like, I, you know, I couldn't really- I felt like doing something in Columbus, Indiana, I could not not contend with the name, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's so pervasive as part of a kind of, you know, sort of false narrative that we tell ourselves about about what these 
these symbols and myths actually mean and what kind of systems they help prop up. So I think, you know, everybody obviously can come to it and make their own conclusions. Like I can't control what people think about it, but hopefully this kind of constellation of different narratives starts to, to offer a sort of a more complex picture. It's a, it's a foundational fiction. So we're proposing poles without a flag, props without an image, if you like, masts without a sail. You know, it's just, it's just very dry. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, and, and yet the text on the poles, it's both going to be, some poles will be about marking a particular place. But some of these, these places that we've been studying, and there's a quite an elaborate kind of spreadsheet that's going into this, like there are other narratives in these places. And there's something fascinating about the way that Columbus, uh, just as a, as a symbol, is applied to a, a number of different attributes of the world we live in today. And I think there's something rich there that we're, we're kind of, I have to be honest, like I'm looking forward to actually being able to walk through this thing in person after a kind of long period of study. So was there an intentional decision behind choosing Mill Race Park as the site for this installation? <laughs> That's a good question. And I'll say, no, we were given the site by, yeah. <laughs> by the curators. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, but I think, you know, in some ways the the park also has a really kind of interesting history. I mean, where our installation is, is actually the fill when, or it's the, the, it's cut. The yeah, it's the fill. <laughs> it's the fill from when the, the lake in the park was cut. Uh, and so it's kind of made this, you know, very tall, like over 20 foot tall berm that also shields a sort of amphitheater that's built into the side of it. And that the construction of the park was actually a kind of active of, community beautification that I think also intersects with a pretty like kind of pernicious legacy about Columbus, Indiana, that at the same time that they were building these, you know, kind of amazing modernist architectural structures, people were living in what is now Mill Race Park, but was then called Death Valley in, you know, shacks along the riverfront. So it's a place that also kind of deals with extraction, sort of literally of the earth and a kind of some ways glossing over of really fraught narratives about about the place. So our work is site responsive. So the the fact that that is part of the legacy of that place was important to us. And I'll also say that the park has a series of kind of like follies, like little pavilions in it. So there's also a way in which the park has kind of like a it's composed of a series of kind of fragmentary narratives, like these these little folly like elements that kind of don't really connect to each other like they sort of um you know like the the prospect from one doesn't necessarily connect to the other so i think just even from visiting the place and walking through it we felt like there was something sort of not necessarily unfinished but just sort of fragmented about it well it does seem like a like a great location for this a peaceful location that that would allow people to really take in in the project and uh, read the stories that are told in the in the polls. I, don't, I will, if I may, you know, I will add one more point. There is that because we're a collaborative, we have a conceptual interest in a, a kind of models of distributed authorship, and so that involves trust. And the conversations with the two curators have actually been great over time, you know. And so they had a kind of initial instinct that you know we would be provoked by being in this place, and initially we did rebel. Uh, <laughs> we didn't rebel. We just were like. Why? (laughs) Like, why are you putting us on this side of the tracks? You know? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
Uh, but it, it, it is a complicated site because it's a park. Like it's, you know, like the, the kind of vista and prospect that you can get from like the top of the hill or the tower or like, you know, crossing the railroad tracks from the town. Like it's a big site. And so it was also like, okay, how do we contend with the size <laughs> of the site and also, you know, be conscious of our budget and doing something that has, a, has an impact. So, you know, it sort of drove certain design decisions in particular ways. Well, I really look forward to experiencing this installation when it's when it's done. And thank you so much for taking the time today to tell us a little bit more about the backstory behind it and, and the, the work that went into it. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, Paul. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dream the Combine. Stay tuned each week for new installments featuring more conversations with the Miller Prize recipients, including Ecosistema Urbano, Future Firm, Olacon Jeffus, and the Sam Jacobs Studio. To learn more about Exhibit Columbus and the upcoming 2021 exhibition, go to exhibitcolumbus.org. If you have any questions or feedback you'd like to share with us, you can leave us a comment on Arconnect or send an email to connect at arconnect.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode.